Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Rigged. Today, we're going to be talking public records with Andrew Quamir. Um, Andrew, uh, welcome to the podcast. Could you uh, take a minute and introduce yourself and, and kind of give you a short bio? Yeah, for sure. So um, just real quick, I write a newsletter, which I call the Mass Dump, kind of a silly name, it, you know, because like I dump documents. Um, and uh, it's... Uh, andrewqmr.substack.com. And I'm also on Twitter at andrewqmr. And I have been doing the whole Massachusetts public records thing for, I want to say about approximately 11 years now. I've been making public records requests. And, uh, you know, I am, it's just something I'm really into. I think it's like important to make information available to people. And I'm specifically interested in like, police and you know our so-called justice system you know like you guys uh so uh i look at it more from the angle of like police misconduct where you guys are talking about this drug lab stuff but you know it's obviously all connected and um i just think it's important to um you know we have this public records law that says basically uh for people who aren't familiar that any government document, it's a public record. It belongs to the public, not to, you know, these government officials. And you have the right to, with certain exceptions, take a look at it. And I think people, especially in this age where we, you know, local news is kind of dying out and there isn't as much, you know, in-depth investigative reporting as there might've been at one time. I think it's important just for people to make use of this uh, law, this tool that we have. And, you know, it, it, you don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a journalist. You don't have to be, uh, I don't know, you don't have to be anybody special. You just have to be a member of the public who cares. And you can, you know, you yourself can make a public records request and get documents. It doesn't have to be about the police. It could be about, you know, your local school board or, you know, whatever interests you. And you can, uh, make use of this and look into it and get some answers about, you know, questions that might be troubling you or don't have to be troubling you, just something you're interested in. And I think more people should do that. Agreed. Uh, now, so what specifically got you into doing this? Oh, let's see. So I, I don't know. I've always been sort of like a, I guess you could say like an anti-authoritarian guy. Like, you know, back when I was in high school, I like to read like, dystopian science fiction like 1984 or um what are some of the other ones like clockwork orange brave new world fahrenheit 451 and you know i was kind of like you know i don't want to live in a world like that but i was a little maybe too naive to realize we sort of already live in a crazy dystopia you know this country is pretty pretty effed up uh and um so I guess I just sort of started, you know, as like a teenager getting into like reading about like the war on drugs and, you know, police corruption and this sort of thing. And something about it just, you know, that was what I became passionate about, I guess. And I did have this experience actually when I was in college, which I recently wrote about in my newsletter, where I was arrested. And, you know, I said in the newsletter, I don't know if this actually changed me as a person because I already had, you know, these sort of like anti-establishment uh, feelings, but like this definitely was like, it, it certainly didn't, you know, it, it certainly was like, you know, 
it, it was an experience, I guess, that that sort of showed me the way the world works in certain ways. Like I basically I, I worked for this uh, phone book delivery office. If anybody remembers, you know, what the hell a phone book what is, is a phone book? What are you talking about? What <laughs> and is so, that? You know, the, the phone book is obviously it's like a temporary thing, like they deliver it for like a month or a few weeks or whatever. So we, we had rented the company had rented this office that was like across the parking lot from the police station. This was in Keene, New Hampshire, which I think it, it like with the college student population is like 20,000 people like it's this it's technically a city, but it's like a small college town. And so one day I'm out in this trailer, like counting up phone books to see how many we have left. And I see like a beam from a flashlight, you know, I turn around and there's some cop like, you know, poking around and I'm like, you know, is there a problem? And they're like, we think, you know, there's a burglary going on here. And I'm just like, you know, there's no burglary. I'm just doing my job. Like go talk to my manager. He's inside the office. And he's like, you need to step off the trailer. And I'm like, I don't really understand what's going on. Like I'm just at work and I think you should go talk to my manager. And, you know, he's like getting increasingly irritated and, you know, I'm trying to just explain to him that, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong is happening. And his partner comes up from, you know, the side, he comes up to the trailer and then this guy is like immediately like extremely belligerent. He's like screaming at me, he's swearing, saying, he's saying, you know, get off the effing trailer or I will. This is like trailer is like up to my shoulders, like, and it's, you know, on top of hard pavement. And he says, I'm going to pull you off the trailer and like slam you on the pavement. So like, you know, I could have gotten like brain damage from this. This is so silly over these guys who think that like what I'm stealing phone books or something like it makes absolutely no sense. So I say, okay, I'll get off the trailer. And they start telling me I need to show them my ID which is silly because there's no law in the United States in any state, let alone New Hampshire, that says, you know, you have to show the police your ID. In some states, you, if they suspect you of a crime, you would have to tell them like your name and I think address, but you never have to show them your ID unless you're like, you know, driving a car and they need to see your driver's license. So I'm like, you know, you guys don't need to see my ID. Just go talk to my manager and he's going to clear this up. And they're like, no, you have to show us your ID. And then they arrested me. And then my manager stepped out of the building and he told them, yeah, this guy works here. There's no burglary. And they're like, okay, whatever. And they just arrested me anyway to be, you know, assholes. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, they took me back to the police station. They filed these totally fraudulent criminal charges against me. They actually charged me with loitering for being in my own workplace, doing my job, loitering. And, you know, they, they dropped the charges like a few days or a week later. And, you know, they never had any intention of, pro of pressing the charges. They just wanted to get back at me because I didn't, you know, like bow down to their authority, basically. And you know, again, I don't know if this changed me, but it certainly was like, you know, like, wow, like even in some small college town where the worst crime is like, you know, kids smoking weed and like drinking under 21, you have these like cops who just go around like harassing people, threatening them with violence just because like they get, you know, they have a good time doing it, I guess. Like there's no reason for it. So I can't understand why else they'd be doing it. And, Having a bad day, you know, a million, million different reasons why they would, they're human beings, but at the same time, like they are, a lot of them are on some sort of ego trip or, or something, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a scary story for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we have stories in this country, particularly from black people about how this kind of thing happens to them, you know, like once a week, 
you know, like it happens to them constantly. They're being harassed by the police. And, you know, I can totally like I absolutely believe it when people say things like that, because, you know, I was like I said, a small college town. It happened to me and like it can happen to anybody like if if it can happen to like some, you know, guy from a middle class family in one of these like small college towns, then in one of these places where, you know, you have poor people who are marginalized in some way, it's absolutely going to happen to them even more uh, frequently than it would happen to someone like me. So I, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for people when they tell stories like that, because I just think back to, you know, my own experience. Well, it, Andrew, it, um, it does tie in, I mean, the, the police uh, uh, angle and the drug lab angle, mm-hmm. and any corruption in general, they all tie um, back to a common root cause, um, which we've sort of alluded to. Uh, one of the root causes is this belief that you're gonna get away with something. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, the police have been getting away with things for, um, you know, depending on how, how long you want to um, uh, start uh, with the term police, but certainly for decades, they have been getting away with all kinds of things, largely because the police report or the police version of events was the authoritative one. And it's only in the last few years, and thanks to public records laws, and thanks to body cams, um, and thanks to now cell phone cams that the version that was supposed to be authoritative uh, very often quickly crumbles. And the person that was coming at me with a knife and acting erratic in video turns out was just standing there. And what you find out is that very often um, the history was sort of revisionist. And and so people who know they can revise history tend to be more bold uh, in what they do. Yeah, and so another thing I mentioned in my most recent newsletter was that I was talking about clearance rates, which is the term police use basically for, it's sort of like the number of crimes that get reported to them versus the number of crimes they've solved. And people have looked at this and they've noted that like in the seventies, clearance rates used to be a lot higher than they are now. And it's sort of curious because, you know, now, you know, everybody carries a cell phone that like tracks their location. There's like video cameras, like almost everywhere. You know, there's like ring surveillance cameras in people's neighborhoods. There's in stores, there's security cameras. Everybody's got a cell phone. You know, there's DNA evidence that can, you know, exclude people from, uh, you know, who, who may have been a suspect. And what's actually happened is that these clearance rates have gone down, even though this technology should be making it easier to solve crimes. And, you know, I think that the reason is, you know, one, police are not actually very good at solving crimes. Uh, And the other is that this evidence that should be um, making it easier to convict people is actually just showing that, you know, the police have not been doing a good job of solving crimes. Like it's excluding people who, you know, maybe 50 years ago, they would have just picked up the first guy, you know, they found and railroaded him, said he did it. Whereas now, oh, there's DNA that excludes him or his cell phone showed he was, you know, 50 miles away. Or, uh, you know, there's a video camera showing that, you know, a, a different person did it. Like it's, and, and instead of, you know, this evidence increasing uh, the number of crimes that gets, you know, quote, solved, it's uh, decreasing it. And it's exposing an underbelly, right, of incompetence and whatever whatever it was. I mean, we saw in that 
shooting in Texas a few weeks ago that, I mean, they were even reluctant to, they, they were arresting people who were trying to do their job, essentially, and run into the building and, and stop it and, and do everything they could to stop a horrible school shooting. They were threatening to arrest people that did. So that, there's a lot of, it's getting weird. It, it's weird with, uh, with what's going on and, and what's being revealed by all these, um, as you say, you know, all the devices. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's crazy to think that, you know, I think that's sort of one thing that motivates me is that, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, whether it's defund the police or some people, you know, they've taken to calling it like reimagine community safety. I think, yeah. I, well, I don't care what you call it, just I believe that people need to stop looking at um, the concept of safety as sort of like a... Uh, they need to look at it in a more nuanced way. Like it's not just about having a lot of guys with guns and saying, oh, they're gonna protect us. It's it's about more than that. It's about having all kinds of services. They're gonna, you know, like people need housing, people need food, they need jobs so that they're not, you know, going to commit crimes. They need um, mental health services. And, you know, obviously like gun control is a big issue. Like, you know, it, a lot of those people were dead before the police even had a chance to get into the classroom and right. you know never mind the fact that they you know from the reports we're getting that they were basically you know too cowardly to go confront the gunmen uh we need to like prevent things like this you know from before they happen instead of just saying oh don't worry the police are going to come save you after the fact right that should their whole job should be preventing the next mass shooting right i mean isn't that like number i mean drugs are so far down the line but it's the drugs as Ilias has always um asserted is it's it has a corrupting effect and it's created this druggy environment um where the police are addicted to the to spending the the money that they get from the federal government to uh arrest people for drugs and do these drug busts that they put out there to make it look like they're doing their job when they're just you know taking those drugs that are easily found and uh because usually you know it's it's a small bust it's not it's never the big big um supply and they're just throwing that on social media and saying look we're we're, we're justifying our existence or we're doing something uh and, and it's actually doing nothing yeah when and it comes oh, it's also the civil forfeiture money too i mean there's, right. there's a the way we've now deployed police it's almost like incapable of reform um, because, you know, any change, any significant change that you want to make to the system is going to is going to um, piss off somebody's um, view of a sort of a, a monetary entitlement. Um, so if you if you got rid of the war on drugs, um, a lot of that free money is going to disappear from police departments and prosecution offices. Um, and and this does sort of, you know, uh, I hope we can get to the public records uh, uh, aspect of, uh, of of our conversation. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, but I think- oh, that, oh, that's why we're here. Oh, crap. <laughs> but the, well, the, 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 the common um, sort of goal, I think, of all of this is accountability, right? I used to use the word like responsibility or liability. I'm, a, I'm an attorney, so that's a word that we throw around. Um, I've sort of scaled back my goals, and now it's just accountability, meaning, hey, did you, what did you do and did you justify, you know, your paycheck for for what you did? And is this a good use of of our money? And is this a good outcome? And I think what's surprising, uh, as in this journey that Jamie and I have done, is to realize how difficult it is 
to get any accountability. I mean, you know, yeah. people congratulate themselves for things that they've done in, in the case of the drug lab scandal that involve disclosing maybe the top 1% of the visible part of the iceberg, um, which anybody could have seen if there was any modicum of transparency. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then they're like, we did a great job. And meanwhile, there's this entire um, um, mass below the surface that has not been revealed. The media doesn't eventually want to touch it. Um, not sure exactly why, but I can guess and speculate on the various reasons. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so we're left with in a situation where people who, like you who feel the system is letting us down take on the system. And I should note, it's not for free, right? It's time. Absolutely, it's yeah. Um, and, and it's a lot of um, difficult you know, decisions, a lot of difficult conversations, probably a feeling that you're putting a bullseye around your, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, around your torso when you start taking on people who clearly don't want you to succeed. And that's, I think, what, what I found most surprising about the public records um, uh, 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 issue is why it's adversarial. Yeah, don't understand why it's at like, why do I have to act, not only ask for public records, but have you tell me no, or make fake reasons. And then I have to go uh, uh, and escalate this. And maybe you, we can talk a little bit about the what escalation means. I assume you've done your share of appeals and oh, yeah, for and sure things like that. So tell us a little bit about how a normal public records request goes. <laughs> uh, and, and, and all the steps you have to take to even get one piece of paper and, and whether this is what we talk about when we talk about, um, what is it they say sunshine is the great disinfectant and, and, you know, we, the people, right. Okay. So let's talk about what it means to be, we, the people, uh, with, when it comes to public records. Also, can we, and, and I want to hit on this as well, this public records to me, and, and we'll get into it is a, a great example of what laws really mean to, for me? Like, wh what's a law? Does a law have to be obeyed? Like, right, it is, I mean, so what is, so if a law doesn't have to be obeyed, what is it really? That's what I, that's what to me, public records really represent. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the public records law, it's incredible that we have it, but law, I mean, all laws, not just the public records law, it's not just a matter of what, the text says it's a matter of power. I mean, any law is about um, who has the power. And, you know, public records law is, unfortunately, you know, the government in, to a large extent, has the power. And uh, there are ways that it could be improved. But I think, like you were saying, it's always going to be an adversarial process because, um, you know, these records, they may not belong to these government officials, but they are in their possession. And there's only, you know, there's no, I, there was a joke on Twitter the other day that there needs to be a public record sheriff who has like a license to kill and he can just, you know, go around and get the public records if you won't uh, hand them over. But that's obviously never going to happen. Like, so uh, as long as there's a uh, power imbalance, you know, the they're going to be able to deny records to a certain extent. And well, like it's enforceability, right? Like you have to enforce the law. There has to be something behind it. And right. Yeah, and, and, and when it gets appealed, it goes to the secretary of state's office 
who can't put anyone in jail, can't bring people up on charges, correct? So the so okay so in for people who are not familiar in Massachusetts we have the Secretary of the Commonwealth, uh, who currently is Bill Galvin, who's up for re-election for I believe it's the eighth his eighth election, um, and he, his office has something called the Public Records Division. And the person in charge of that is the supervisor of records. And the supervisor of records is sort of like the public watchdog um, for public records. And you, if you have a problem getting public records, like if say, the one thing is that when you make a public records request, the, um, they're supposed to give you a response within 10 business days. Uh, and then if they give you a response, they might say, oh, well, you can't have the records for X, Y, and Z reasons. Or alternatively, they might give you the records, but they will um, black out information, which is called redacting. Um, and they'll say, you know, it's exempt for X, Y, and Z reasons. And so if they're, uh, if they just blow you off, or if the reasoning they give for withholding the records or blacking out the information is, uh, you know, conflicts with the law, you can file an appeal with the supervisor of records. And so the supervisor of records will, you know, they'll look at your interactions. Uh, it's best to do it by email so that you have, a, you know, a paper trail. Um, and then you, you, so you'll forward them the emails, you'll forward them the documents and the response and everything. And the supervisor will have her attorneys look at it and they will write this decision, which it's sort of like a judge's decision, except it's a little different because like, it, it's, it's almost like a fake judge's decision because there's no sort of like real force of law behind it. Um, like nobody's gonna go to jail because they don't do what the supervisor of records says. And so the supervisor of records can't even sue the agencies when they refuse to comply. What she has to do is uh, send it to the attorney general's office and the attorney general could hypothetically sue, except the problem is the attorney general obviously has her own agenda because she is the lawyer who represents all these like state agencies in court. And obviously, you know, she is a prosecutor. She's a law enforcement official. So she's sort of part of that world of law enforcement. So she, her agenda is sort of the same as law enforcement. So the way she interprets the law is going to be different than and someone. Also, also, say you have a public records request about the attorney general's office. Of course, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so the supervisor is actually very reluctant to send things to the attorney general because one, the attorney general has like no time limit for how long she has to decide things. So it could take like a year or whatever. She might just decide, oh, I don't agree and she won't enforce it. Um, you know, and so, and then the other, so the, the, when the supervisor writes these decisions, she's actually not even saying like, you have to give, uh, you know, Andrew Comer these documents he requested, you know, a year ago that you've been withholding. She'll say, you know, your response, uh, you know, it's unclear that you have demonstrated, you know, a reason for withholding these records. So you need to provide a new response that, you know, complies with the public records law. And, you know, I don't, I don't blame her. It's, it's sort of a difficult position to be in. It's a difficult balancing act because on the one hand, you want these people to do what you're saying, but you have no real ability to force them to do it. So it's sort of like you're trying to 
convinced them through, you know, persuasion or just being, you know, annoying, you know, whatever works to get them to listen to you. And, you know, it's only things only go to the attorney general is sort of like a last resort. And then alternatively, the person who makes the request could also file their own lawsuit. But it's very difficult because there's a very limited number of attorneys who do this sort of work. It's um, uh, and you can get attorney's fees awarded by the court, um, but it's like up to the judge's discretion. So like it's not a sure thing. So like an attorney could say, you know, I'll take this case pro bono and I might get paid at the end if the court awards the fees. But, you know, a lot of lawyers aren't going to be willing to do that. They're going to be like, no, I'm going to take a job where I get paid up front and, you know, not risk, you know, doing what could end up being years of work um, to just not get paid at the end. Like uh, the so there was a lawsuit that I wrote about where the Worcester Telegram and Gazette newspaper sued the city of Worcester for all these police misconduct records. And the city gave these just absolutely absurd arguments that the judge ultimately concluded that the city was acting in bad faith, which, you know, pretty rare for a judge to be like, you guys are just, you know, being assholes because you can. And, you know, uh, and she awarded about $101,000 of attorney's fees. But to get to that point, uh, the lawyer who represented the Telegram and Gazette, Jeff Pyle, he had to spend uh, approximately three years on this case, I think, or about two and a half <laughs> years or something. And now, like, he, he, uh, he argues that he spent, uh, he, he is entitled to more money than that. So now he's having to, like, appeal it just to get yeah. the rest of the money he he believes he's entitled to so like to he's got to do zero yeah he's got to do all this extra work now and yeah. uh you know that's just to get paid so like how many lawyers are going to want to do that just to help some you know newspaper or some you know random concerned citizen to get these documents that you know some government official doesn't want to give them it's it's a lot to ask someone to do um and you know it it it's uh don't I know it? <laughs> and I think, you know, we, we, I think we need to see some more substantive change from the public records law. We did have a big update that was passed in 2016. It took effect at the beginning of 2017. But there's still like a lot of weaknesses in the law. And I think one thing that would be really helpful is if they took the attorney general's office out of the equation and just Absolutely. said, the supervisor of records can sue these people if she feels that, you know, they're not uh, complying with her because then she wouldn't have to be like, you know, oh, well, you can send a new response for the sixth time. She can be like, no, if you don't do this, I'm going to sue you. And, you know, yeah, and uh, use her discretion and be independent. That's the thing about the secretary of state's office it's supposed to be independent uh, checking uh, these things and <clears throat> supposedly. Yeah, and I think another uh, big uh, change would that would be helpful would be if there's some way for her to sort of issue like civil fines that you know not like a criminal thing where like you're going to go to jail if you don't give the records over <clears throat> but if she says like you know i issued this order and you're not complying it's going to be you know like a thousand dollars every day you don't listen to me so that that way you know because a lot of these places they they feel that they're above the law that there's no consequences so they just delay forever and yep. if there was sort of escalating consequences like the longer you don't comply there's going to be harsher consequences i think that would provide some sort of check that doesn't exist in the current law agreed 
It, I mean, the, I think the, the point that, that you're um, making um, that, that in contrast to what you said earlier, that this is supposed to be a system that an individual layperson could possibly have a chance of navigating on his or her own. Um, and I think what you're saying is it doesn't work that way because there's so many roadblocks. And at the end of the day, you need to invest a lot of your own time and you need to kind of know what what the law is at almost the lawyer level and understand why the, not the, the responses that you might be getting, if you get a response are nonsense, yeah. which wouldn't necessarily be obvious to a lay person. And then either find a lawyer or, you know, take it on yourself. Um, and it sounds like a maze that the average person would have no hope of, of, of navigating. Um, and so even if you increase the penalties and did all these things, which I would be in favor of, um, I wonder if we're still doomed to, to fail because we've sort of made this not the, 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 the transparent system that it was supposed to be. Right. Uh, the well, motive has to be to disclose records. You have yeah, to have people motivated by doing that. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And just to be clear, I don't want to like dissuade anyone from making public records requests. What I said at the beginning, I do uh, believe that, yeah, anybody, anybody can do this. Like I'm nobody special. I did not, I'm not a lawyer. I didn't go to school for journalism. I literally just decided, you know, I heard about like the Freedom of Information Act, which is the federal equivalent of the Massachusetts public records law. And I was like, okay, well, there's a, on the secretary of the Commonwealth website, there's a guide to the public records law. And I just, you know, I sat down and I read it and I was like, you know, I, maybe I can do this. And, you know, it, there's certainly a learning process. Like you're not going to make one public records request and like know everything about the law. It's, uh, it's something where, I mean, it's like anything in life. You need experience to be really good at it. And I don't even claim to be, you know, perfect at it. There's things about it I certainly don't know. Like, uh, I, I like I couldn't go to court and file my own lawsuit. I mean, you know, I, I, you, there's such a thing as a pro se litigant when you represent yourself in court, but I have no idea how to do that. So like, <laughs> so like I, you know, I'm sort of at the mercy of the system too, um, but but I, again, I don't want to discourage anybody, even though it can be very difficult in a lot of cases. That doesn't mean I like never get records or anything. It just means that sometimes you have to be willing to put the effort in and sort of like, you know, when they send you a bullshit response, you have to be willing to kind of look into it a little bit. And, you know, when you when you write these appeals, I just want to be clear to the supervisor of records office, they don't like expect you to be you know writing in like legalese and have all your like case citations in there and have all the perfect formatting like it's not like that it's like you can write like oh they cited this exemption and you know they didn't really explain themselves well enough so i don't think i agree with their interpretation of the law and you know the people who work in the public records division are lawyers they're going to you know look at the law and they're going to write up a response that says all the legally stuff that you, you know, don't necessarily have to be 100% familiar with. So like people really should uh, not be discouraged uh, and they should file requests and they should file appeals. And, you know, I, I'm pretty experienced at this. Like I'm, I'm not even trying to brag. This is like true. I filed the most appeals of anyone in the state so far this year, um, like almost a hundred now. Um, and like I, I am very familiar with a lot of the issues uh, surrounding like law enforcement records. 
So like when someone writes a response that's like, oh, you can't have it for, you know, because it's the privacy exemption. Uh, I'm like right on top of that. I immediately know like, oh, that's not true. And I can write an appeal. Someone else might not know that, but the information yeah. is out there. Like I encourage people to read that guide. And if someone sends you a request that says you can't have it because of this exemption, just go to the guide and read the language that is in there. And it kind of explains it and you can kind of get a sense of it. And you don't have to write like a super detailed appeal. You can just say, you know, I don't think that they explain themselves well enough. And, you know, even sometimes, even if you think that they are, uh, you know, that they have a legal justification for withholding things, you'll be surprised. And the supervisor will be, will agree with you that they don't. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people, I will say I've been doing it for a while too, um, Andrew, and my experience is there are a lot of people working in the Secretary of State's office and working in some other offices around Massachusetts that are actually willing to help you and, and explain things to you and go the extra mile and believe in the law. And when you have something that is egregious, they will agree that it's egregious and try to help you. That is, that's happened to me. That's the reason I got like 70,000 records on the drug lab. Like that, that is basically people acting consciously and helping me. And, um, and yeah, that, that does exist. Yeah. And, and I obviously, I'm not trying to dissuade anyone from, from doing uh, public records requests. I'm a huge believer of them. And I think a lot of the things we know in this world are, are, are because of somebody had the foresight and the tenacity to, to pursue public records. And that, that goes all the way down to Washington. Um, and you think of anything that, that we know some information about, whether, you're, whether it's political assassinations or whatever, the, fact, what we, the little that we know or the lot that we know is usually in some way, shape or form because of a public records request um, and or special legislation or, or effort to get records out there. And there was some of that effort with the drug lab. Um, I think a lot of, uh, I think Jamie has pulled a lot of records out. Um, so let me, let's do the game where I ask a statistical questions. So Andrew, <laughs> how many public records requests would you estimate? This is a rough approximation. Would you say you've, you've served? And then of those, how many do you, did you just like get what you wanted and you were done never to be seen again? Um, and versus how many did you have to appeal in some way, shape or form? Um, and, and then, you know, you can also maybe make another category of ones you're still fighting about, but were you able to estimate those figures or do you have them? You might be so organized that you have those. I sort of, I, so if you want to know, like throughout my entire life, if I couldn't give you that information, but I can tell you, I keep all my, at least not, not, this isn't something I've done forever, but like starting, you know, within the past like couple of years, I keep all my public records requests in a spreadsheet. It's because I make like so many of them and I have, you know, like ADHD brain. So like I would not be able to keep track of this stuff without it. Um, I've made 148 public records requests this year and I have made 95 appeals. That's according to the supervisor records website. It's possible that there's like one or two that I made in the past almost like approximately one two-thirds of them I've appealed except that's not quite right because sometimes I file multiple appeals related to a request and sometimes so that the numbers aren't quite uh 
like two thirds, but it, you know, it looks like approximately two thirds of the time I appeal. And uh, I, I, I'm probably more aggressive about appealing things than some people because I, um, I don't know, people don't always have the time or energy to do that sort of thing, or they don't have the knowledge. Um, and, but I think it's important, like, cause a lot of the time you actually do end up getting more information if you appeal. Like one thing I've been working on um, this past year is these Brady list records, which uh, those were in the news a lot in 2020 when all the police reform stuff was uh, getting a lot of press. Um, so a Brady list is like a prosecutor basically, it's named after this Supreme Court case, Brady v. Maryland, which uh, it's basically about a prosecutor's duty to disclose exculpatory evidence to a defendant in a criminal case. And I, I don't think the original case has anything to do specifically with police misconduct, but it, uh, it's taken on this meaning, this idea of a Brady list is like, you have police who might not be credible for one reason or another, like they may have lied in a trial or in some internal investigation, you know, lied on a police report or they may, you know, it could be excessive force, just something that really affects their, undermines their credibility in a way. And so, you know, police testify in court cases all the time. And like, how is a prosecutor supposed to keep track of that unless they have a list? So some prosecutors, not all of them, unfortunately, keep these things called Brady lists. And I think people might be surprised how many of them don't keep them. But I've been requesting these Brady lists and also like related information. Like, I don't just want the list. I want to know why is this police officer on the list? And like, how many people have you told, you know, criminal defendants, have you notified about this police officer and that sort of thing. So I have been requesting a lot of this information. And like one really good example is the Essex District Attorney's Office. They have this uh, they have a Brady list. It has police officers who have been charged with crimes on it. I, I don't think it has any like non-criminal uh, things. Uh, that's just how they track theirs. But they originally gave me this list and they blacked out the names of the police officers, which is like so ridiculous. And not only that, so there's something called a docket number, which for people who are not familiar, that's um, it's basically like an ID number for a court case so that courts can track all the many, you know, thousands of court cases they handle. So they blacked out the names of the officers and they blacked out the docket numbers for the uh, criminal cases of these police officers. So I appealed this and the supervisor of records was like, you know, no, you can't do that. And I, I want to say I had to file another appeal because they were just like, you know, we're not going to release this information. No, actually, I'm sorry. I think what happened after the first appeal was they they gave me the the list with the um, docket numbers, but they still blacked out the names. And then I appealed again. And finally, I was able to get the list with the names on it. But I have other cases where the Bristol, so there's the Bristol District Attorney's Office, Bristol County, and the Northwestern District Attorney's Office. They, um, they actually don't keep lists, but they have they do have like information about police they've disclosed and they've given it some of it to me, but they have again blacked out like the names of the police officers they've blacked out docket numbers. 
and I have appealed three times for each of these. And every single time the supervisor has said that, um, you know, you can't, you haven't provided an, you know, an explanation, like an adequate explanation for blacking out this information. And every single time they just come back with the same argument and they're like, we disagree with your interpretation of the law. We're not gonna, you know, give uh, him these records. And so in the most recent one with the Bristol County's uh, district attorney's office, the supervisor actually ends it saying, um, please like something like, please be note, you know, please note that, you know, failure to comply with this order might result in this matter being referred to the attorney general's office. And that is like not a normal thing that they do. That, that means that like, no, we're like sick and tired of you, you know, messing around. We need you to like, listen, because, you know, you know, like the, the supervisor is, they're pretty forgiving. Like if you come up with a new legal argument, even if it's a silly one, they like will kind of let you off the hook to keep making arguments. But like when you start just saying the same thing over and over again, that's when they're like, okay, like, you know, you need to, you know, stop messing around and, and hand over the records. So uh, they actually, in both of these cases, they have just explicitly stated that they are not going to comply. So I don't have any official word on this yet, but there's a good chance. Yeah, there's a good chance that they're just saying, go yeah, you know what? Sorry. Yeah, and and there's a good chance these could go to the attorney general's office, but the Bristol County uh, District Attorney's Office, this this one drives me like crazy because their argument for blacking out the names is, it's it's so just just obviously absurd. So like. Um, there's something called the privacy exemption in the public records law. And it says that uh, you can withhold like medical information and personnel records and other like, you know, highly private records that relate to like a certain, like a, a, a specific person. And first of all, there was a court case like 20 years ago that says that this does not apply to police internal affairs records. And, you know, these are district attorney's records. They're not internal affairs records from a police department, but it's basically the exact same kind of record. It's about investigations of police misconduct. So like that right there is, you know, kind of a clue that this is not applicable. But then on top of it, in 2020, our, our state legislature passed the state police reform law. And one thing they did was they updated the language of the privacy exemption to explicitly say, they didn't use the word internal affairs records. They said police misconduct investigations. Um, and the Bristol County uh, District Attorney's uh, records access officer, uh, this uh, assistant district attorney, she is making this argument that this somehow means that they can withhold the names. It makes, like it says, it doesn't apply to police misconduct records. And she's saying, oh, well, that means actually that it does. Like, I, I can't, I can't explain it any other way. Like, it's that ridiculous. It's like saying that black is white, you know, the sky is purple, yeah. uh, you know, nothing is real, you know, let's, yeah. we just don't, like, it's so, I, I, I couldn't Asinine. believe it. Asinine. I, yeah, I couldn't believe it when I first read it. And she's saying that, well, you know, this language hasn't been tested in court yet. So we don't really know what it means until a yeah. judge looks at it. They're and daring it's like, you to sue them, essentially. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's saying, it's saying, you know, we take this, you know, we don't take this seriously. And we, we basically are not going to follow the law.
And, and importantly, it, it, it means nothing to us. And I, I've seen a few of these Brady lists. Um, uh, and but to the person listening who has maybe never seen a Brady list, um, are these super short lists with just one or two names on them? Um, it depends on which one you're looking at. Um, but like Essex so County, the, was that like a super short list with one or two names? Or no, there... it was actually. Um, hold on, I. I, it was at least a few pages. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> so that's okay. that. So that would be a large number of names of people who were, I think you said, convicted of a crime. Which, by the not way, not necessarily convicted, just charged. Okay. I'm but looking. Some, so the, <laughs> some of them I'm looking were at it right now. It is like about four, slightly more than four pages. Um, it's at least like a few dozen people. It does have people going back to 2003. So it's not just like people who were charged yeah. with crimes, like, you know, within the past couple of years, but like, it's not just like, you know, five people or something. It's not one person or two but people, it, but, which I'm you sure know, people need to, I think people need to understand that cer certain, certainly when you were arrested, Andrew. It's 62, in, in, it's 62 people. I'm looking at the Excel yeah. spreadsheet. Yeah, if you, if you, when you were arrested, I mean, I'm sure there was a, you know, there was an arrest report. And if, if you were charged, there would be a public document reflecting the, 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 the charge. Um, and if there's a disposition in your case, that's usually, you know, public, unless you have some fancy lawyers who can make those documents harder to find. So I think that it's sort of interesting. Um, and, and the concern that I have, uh, and this is not just for the police, this is not just for Commonwealth of Massachusetts public records. Uh, my concern is for the soul of this nation that we've created that the exceptions that we created long ago and thought that, that's pretty narrow, like national security, that's pretty narrow. How could that ever swallow the rule? And for law enforcement, this idea that anything that hurts their feelings or in any way lets us know what they're doing that's wrong, that's so private that we can't know that. Oh, and it will reveal, uh, uh, what do they say? Sources and methods, right? That's their favorite one. It's going to reveal sources and methods, right? They call it in Massachusetts confidential investigative techniques. Right. And so apparently hitting someone over the head with your flashlight is a confidential investigative technique or, <laughs> um, you know, the, the Supreme Court just re uh, released a, 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 another terrible decision today uh, about a, um, a Bivens, a, a yeah, uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll call it a non-Bivens case, apparently, where they're, they're not going to expand <laughs> Yeah, it. I guess so. Um, and, and basically that a border officer can, can assault somebody and is sort of beyond any reproach. Uh, and, uh, and, and that seems to be, and, and that's been an issue uh, federally with respect to who you can sue and what records. I mean, if the government says national security, you ain't getting any records. So, yeah. uh, and your trial is going to go badly for you. Yeah. Well, that's another example of where the law is really about, you know, who has the power and who doesn't, you know, it's, it, it applies to all areas of law. Like, you know, we like to believe in this country that we have rights and, you know, a right is only as good as the remedy. Uh, if your right is violated and you have no way of, you know, vindicating that right, then it's not really a right. It's just, you know, an idea. Right. And, and going back to the, the drug lab, so Annie Dukin, who sort of, I guess, started this whole thing, um, although she's not the sole, she's not the lone bad actor, right? Is that what we found out, Jamie, that she's not That's the lone correct. bad actor? Um, <laughs> but, but the the fact was that she was caught um, uh, essentially falsifying a government record and, and, and essentially lying and was, was caught red-handed and I believe admitted to that fact and was benched. 
uh, uh, which was, I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean you stop getting a paycheck. It doesn't mean no, it doesn't you're mean not you stop testifying. testing. I, I found she was still testing that whole time. Yeah, she was still oh, testing. She, she might've still been testifying. Um, yeah, and then it wasn't was. until, it wasn't until almost three quarters of a year later that she was ultimately fired. And even then there was no like automate automated disclosure. Yeah, no. certainly not in that intervening time period of hey, by the way, there's a person that may have lied uh, uh, and 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 violated your Brady rights. If um, the state and, police hadn't taken over the Hinton lab, I don't know if we would even know the name Annie Duke. Well, it I think it was when they retested, right? I think there was an issue. Where where did they get caught? Uh, I, I'm now blanking. It's been so long, but I think it was when they had to retest one of the cases where they found it because they knew that she couldn't testify. Oh, right. yes, so yes. rather than having her testify uh, or send out one of those Brady letters saying, hey, by the way, Annie Dugan's a total liar. You should know that. Um, they were like, why don't we just pretend that never happened and retest it with another chemist? And the other chemist came back with a different result. Yeah, because they didn't want her on the stand. And so right away, that tells you that they sort of bend over backwards, uh, uh, at least in the drug lab, to not tell the public things. And, I, and that's understandable. Like when I screw up at work, I don't go around posting my screw up on the Internet. That's human nature. But I'm also not a public servant. Yeah. And, I and also you also don't... don't get indignant on the stand when your credentials are questioned and your whole lab is just like fucking around. Right. And and and, and I don't you know, law enforcement, it, 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 that's what they call themselves. Right. Law enforcement, not not select law enforcement, right. not not the laws that that, that we yeah. that we 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 want enforced and, the, and ignore the ones we don't want enforced. So it's a little bit of a, a problem to have any other system except for one where there's sort of full disclosure, full and prompt, I should say. Uh, disclosure, because the other thing that I'm sensing um, uh, from you, Andrew, and 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 uh, working with Jamie, um, is that when you do get records, it's usually years after the fact. Oh yeah, and I think you know. Go again, going back to everything we know in this world, there's this weird situation where we learn things so long after the the public, the official conclusion has been disseminated that it's very hard to change the narrative around, even though the narrative is often completely debunked. And I used to keep a list of these things and I've sort of, um, uh, uh, have so many that I've sort of lost that list, but I'll give you an example that, that it used to be that, well, Nixon didn't do anything to extend the Vietnam War. He didn't tamper with the peace process, right? In 68, he, uh, he didn't tamper with the peace process just so he could get elected. Well, it turns out he did. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that he did, and we were told that, right? Just as yep. we were told all kinds of nonsense about Vietnam. Johnson none of those records was were furious. Johnson was furious. Yeah. yeah, the Pentagon Papers would have told us things that we that we could have known de decades before, and somebody had to litigate, go to the Supreme Court, and even then, it was you know not certain to get those records. So I, I well, and the and the king of all that is the JFK assassination, right? They still won't release all the records for no. that, and, and and they promise and they promise and they promise and they never do, and and by not doing it, it really emits uh, guilt and shame on some level because it, who cares at this? And point? it's not just JFK. I mean, I will yeah. say that Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. I mean, go yeah. down the line, Bobby Kennedy. There's you know, there's evidence that was destroyed. George Wallace. Uh, the LAPD went and destroyed pretty much uh, anything that could have ever blown the cover off the official investigation. Um, they just were like, yeah, we, who needs this uh, uh, evidence anymore? 
Um, and in fact, the entire hotel where he was killed has been raised. So, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, the, I think the other concern that I don't want people to, to miss is even though there's brave people like Andrew who, who litigate or who, who fight to get the records, by the time you get the records, a lot of time has passed. A lot of arrests have been made. A lot of people have been convicted and gone to prison. Um, and part of the reason why the Annie Dukin, um, well, I, again, I don't want to say the, the, the Annie Dukin, but the drug lab scandal is so terrible is all the people who were convicted after there were obvious red flags that were known to people who I think had a duty to tell the public and blow the whistle and stop this thing. And they remember, just remember continued. the whole James Hanchett thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, that, it, I mean, so they knew that Sonia was high and the, the last guy that she had, the, the, the guy whose Coke was in her car or whatever the case was, the guy who was charged with possessing the Coke that was in her car that had been tampered with and she took. So they had no idea of knowing how much it was or what was going on with it. Um, they knew, knew all of that. And James Hanchick got on the stand and uh, tried to and sent him to prison. Yeah, and I think people... Uh, and I think you've done it. I admit I haven't listened to all your podcasts, but I know you have been covering some of the other crazy stuff going on in the state in your second season. But I think people need to be aware that like this drug lab thing, it's like it's just part of the craziness that is the so-called justice system in the state. I mean, yeah. we had a similar thing with the breathalyzer devices that yeah. are managed by the state police where they were, they didn't calibrate them. They weren't maintaining them properly. They were giving like false numbers. So you could have someone who is like, you know, not, not legally drunk, right. getting convicted of drunk driving based on these like just totally nonsense, fake numbers. And yeah. the state police knew this was happening, but instead of, they knew that, it, you know, they would get their cases thrown out if they told people. So instead of telling people, they just hit it and caused even more people to get you know, wrongfully charged with drunk driving. And it took like, it took like litigation for, uh, it didn't get as extensive coverage as the drug lab scandal, but no. there's definitely news articles about it. You can go read about it. Oh, yeah. um, there were like thousands, I think of cases that were thrown out. And then we have like, you know, police corruption. There's like all these people in Boston. Oh, the overtime, who been... the overtime yeah. stuff is ridiculous. I mean, th that those are all well, federal crimes. You know, that's that's bad enough. But I mean, there's people who have been in prison for like 20, 30, 40 years in Boston who are just getting out now because, you know, we had a, a, a DA, Rachel Rollins, who was willing to reopen a lot of these cases and look into it. And then, yep. you know, we have the craziness in Springfield where you have cops just like beating the shit out of people, planting drugs on them. And, you know, the the commissioner was like, oh, well, we'll just turn their corrupt narcotics unit into a corrupt, you know, firearms unit and they can plant guns on people instead of planting drugs. And, you know, that'll fix the problem. And, <laughs> and then, it's not the corruption, it's what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you know we had like a problem, similar problem, like in Lowell at one point, I think it was like 10 years ago where they were sued for having like, like confidential informants, which is like the, you know, the, the term they like to use for basically like snitches, uh, yeah. who would like plant guns or drugs on people. And then the police would show up and arrest them. And, you know, we've had, uh, like in, I think Braintree, there was like evidence that was going missing and, you know, there's stuff that's oh, happening yeah. right and, now and in Fall River. Yeah, and then in Fall River, the the police are like having all kinds of problems with their drug evidence. Like they had a detective 
where they discovered all these like drugs in his desk that you know weren't supposed to be there and they're like you know what the hell is he doing with them and they have log books because like instead of having like you know actual like you know records on a computer they just had these little books where they're documenting all the times they would you know uh buy drugs off of people um and then those went missing so like you know what exactly where did they go what is this person who you know stole them trying to cover up are they like using the drugs are they planting drugs on people like who knows like but this this kind of thing happens in like every single community uh you know all over the state there's maybe maybe not every single form of corruptioning is happening in every single community but you know we have it's why it's a widespread problem and we don't necessarily you know know the full extent of it because i mean first of all just corruption by its nature is hidden from the public because that's you know that's what it is it's it's hiding the truth from people and then the other thing is that this state are like local media just like you know every other part of the country it's dying you know people are getting laid off from newspapers and News, newspapers are closing or they're merging into these like regional newspapers that don't have any local news in them. And there's just less and less uh, sort of resources that can go towards exposing this sort of thing. And it's not the journalist's fault. It's the companies that are running the papers. It's also yeah. to a certain extent, you know, economics that, you know, the internet has changed things, but there's just, there. it's so, there's so many widespread problems like this that, uh, you know, people should be aware that it's not just like, you it's know, awesome. it's it's not just the last thing you read about. It's like the whole system is. Oh, uh, yeah. is well, I, I, All these I, stories are just little pieces of a of a corrupt whole. Exactly. Yeah, I, kind of, they all and, bleed into. And Andrew, I've been to your uh, website, and I, I, at the end we'll uh, get let you plug it, um, so people can check it out too. It's 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 good. Um, uh, you know, one of the the sad things, uh, uh, and you mentioned a couple times the media. You know, I was one of those people in earlier in my life who assumed that the media was the one keeping everybody honest, right? So as long as the New York Times was in business, as long as you know CNN uh, was in business, and maybe Fox News counterbalances CNN, so between the two of them, we're going to get the truth, right? Uh, and 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 local news. Um, is it, it, I think people aren't paying attention to how um, it how uh, now monolithic the ownership structure is, mm -hmm. and how what you're really getting is sort of the 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 right wing dream um, sort of messaging, which is that the world is a scary, dangerous place. We're all going to get shot or stabbed. Um, you know, if you really want to get a bad take on things, you should watch the local news in Spanish, okay? Because that's literally just shootings and stabbings. Um, and, and what it's doing is it's, 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 and the sources for these stories appear to be the police, right? When there's a shooting that takes place and the, and the reporters there within an hour and a half and, you know, and the flashing lights are still there, you know, how do well, the I, I don't even think you should assume that the, you know, the media is going to be there. A lot of the time it's just based on press releases, like the police right. will put out sometimes, sometimes they don't even do like, you know an actual press release anymore it's just like the facebook post that everybody else is seeing on facebook and right. the, the reporter will go and you know jot down the information from it and you know i i i don't you know when i was younger uh i i sort of had the opposite like you know i kind of felt like 
you know, the mainstream media isn't doing a good enough job covering things. And I feel like I have sort of a more nuanced perspective now, which is that like, you know, I think reporters tend to, they, a, a lot of reporters are very idealistic and they are serious about doing good work. And it's just, it's very difficult because, um, you know, there just isn't a lot of money in the media, particularly local media anymore. Like, you know, there are people on like CNN or Fox News who get paid like, uh, you know, like $10 million or whatever. But there are, there are uh, people who get, you know, work for your local newspaper are probably, you know, barely getting paid anything. And a lot of the time they, people doing it now are a lot younger than they were because, you know, the older people have been bought out or they've retired and, you know, there are people who have less experience and, um, I think that, you know, it, it's kind of scary because we have this, it's sort of a perfect storm. Like we have all these people who have bought into this whole like fake news idea, like the media is out to, you know, pull the wool over our eyes and we have to listen to like Donald Trump or whoever, you know, the right wing, you know, they, I, I put this in quotes, but populist uh, is telling us because the media is lying to you. And at the same time that's happening, we're having less and less like actual news reporting. So it's like you have people who are primed to sort of believe whatever, you know, bullshit they're being, you know, fed by the, you know, like Trump or whoever. And then you have less actual information that's out there for people to sort of look at and see how the world is working. Like, and, and I'm not even talking about like, you know, like, you know, national security information. I'm talking about like, you know, who, wh what is your local school board doing? Or like, you know, what's the mayor up to? That kind of thing. Like people uh, just can't get a lot of that information anymore. Like, you know, I live in Framingham and our local paper, the Metro West Daily News has just really, really gone down the toilet over like the past, you know, even just the past decade. Like I've noticed huge, huge, uh, you know, decreases in like the amount of local news. And like, I like they literally have made the font larger to like hide the fact that they don't publish any news anymore. Like it's so, it's so, it's that ridiculous. And um, I, it's just unfortunate because um, like, you know, the media is never going to cover everything, but like when they can't even, you know, cover like the school board meetings or, you know, that kind of thing, like it's just, how do you even know what's going on in your community? And if you don't know, like, how can you participate in local politics and how can you um, just, you know, feel like you're like a, a member of a community and you're not just sort of like an isolated person, you know, who doesn't have any clue what's going on. Well, we, we covered, um, we, we, we've covered Framingham in, in one episode, the, um, the stamp mm -hmm. shooting. Yep, and we have another episode in the works that will uh, about Framingham that will be um, interesting because Framingham, for whatever reason, is one of those states, I mean, uh, towns that lets you, or I guess city now. City now, that city lets now. you, that lets you kind of, well, I, I guess they have a hard time keeping the curtain down. Um, and so uh, there's, there's a few glimpses um, that you can get under the curtain uh, when it comes to the police. So we're going to cover that in a little bit of, uh, of depth. Well, you um, might have to have you might have to have me back on because yeah, well, I think I, something. I, think, I don't think I can. I'm not prepared to tell you know all the details yet, but I um, I'm working on a big Framingham story. 
Okay, well, you I know what that's... I think of when I think of them? Um, Deep Throat in uh, in All the President's Men when he was talking about the Watergate burglars. These weren't really smart guys, and things got out of hand. <laughs> Um, and so uh, uh, back to public records. Yeah. So um, you, how many um, would you say you've done and you got what you wanted and, and there was no further work? I mean, that is that a, about a third of them? That occasionally say? happens. I will yeah. say that it, it's not unheard of. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's how I'll put it. It's not unheard of. But, okay. you know, there's there's a lot of issues. Like, I mean, sometimes it's not even that they don't give you anything like there's a lot of issues with records so like one thing is like i request data sometimes and you know if data for people who aren't familiar working with data like you want data to be in a spreadsheet where it's like organized into columns and rows and you can like you know you can like reorganize the data like put everybody's name in alphabetical order and like do all this kind of thing like, you know, like with Microsoft Excel or whatever you're using, you know, Google Sheets, whatever program you use to you do your spreadsheets. Uh, I love spreadsheets, by the way. <laughs> um, but instead of giving you a spreadsheet, a lot of the time, they'll just be like, they'll convert it to like a PDF and the PDF will like, you'll try to copy the data and put it in your spreadsheet and like, it'll all like, you know, all of the, um, row like instead of having rows like everything will just get put into one cell so like instead of having you know like the police officer and then in the next uh column you'll have like you know he, how when he the date that he you know had this complaint against him and then in the next co uh, uh column you'll have like the nature of the complaint you'll just have it all in one thing and you'll be like, okay, this is totally useless. Like I can't do anything with it. And then you'll have to go back to them and be like, no, I asked you for the spreadsheet, give me the spreadsheet. And it's like, it's, it's, it's so obnoxious, but like you have to do that sort of thing. Yeah. And like another thing is like, I, you want documents, if you, if it's, even if it's not data, you want it to be like searchable documents, you know, where you can like copy and paste the text and you can use the search function. So like, if there's a, you're looking for a police officer's name, you could search for it or whatever you want to search for. Because like sometimes you'll get back like hundreds of pages of documents and like you don't necessarily want to like sit there and read the whole thing until you, you know, know sort of, you know, what you're looking for. And so you'll go back to them, you'll be like, you know, this was like a Word document. Why did you print it out and then scan it and turn it into this like useless junk where I can't search it? when you could just provide me the original Word document and they'll like give you a hard time about it. And it's so ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And that that's like and on top of the fact- they give you stuff on CDs. Yeah, they give you stuff on fucking CDs. I'm like, what? Did, why didn't you send me a Counting Crows record while you're at it? <laughs> yeah, they, I mean- it's, Yeah, they it's, teach it's, that. We joke that they teach that at, at law school. Um, <laughs> how to how to uh, uh, hinder the other side. Um, you know, there's a fancy law firm in New York I won't mention representing a one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, I won't mention. And they produced everything by printing it out and scanning it. Um, oh my God. Also like scanning it at like the, you know, less than 300 dots per inch or whatever. Yeah, and you can like barely read it. So it's like, yeah, you were like not even sure some of the stuff is there. And I mean, that's well, just, that's intentional. Dude, printing it out and scanning it, you know what that does? It makes it unsearchable. You can't, yeah, that's, you can't do a search. That's and, the point. And, so Yeah, that's what I just said. So like, it's, it's like, I don't even know why they do it because it's a waste of their time. So sometimes you, I mean, I think sometimes it's just like 
whatever weird stuff is going on in their office. Like they might have to print the documents out because Captain like that's their process. Like wants, that to, wants to read the paper documents because he doesn't like looking at them on a computer and then somehow it gets scanned and that's what they end up providing to you. So it might not be like intentional, but it's still obnoxious. And, you know, I actually put in all my requests, like, please do not print out and scan the records. Like I try to be kind of proactive about it, but like, it's still, you know, most of the time they'll just do it anyway. And like, uh it, it's one of those things i have a lot of trouble with but like more often like the big problems you have are not like things like that it's like they will just not respond to your request so like you'll have to file an appeal yep. sometimes they will withhold the documents and they will not give a satisfactory reason so you'll have to appeal like a big one i so i am having right now I mentioned earlier that Essex County Brady list. So I started Googling names of some of the police officers on it. And, you know, some of them, there were of course like news stories about them. And interestingly, there were not news stories about some of them who uh, there were officers uh, who were accused of domestic violence and they, their names are not in the media at all. So I started requesting police reports about them and in like every single case, they're telling me there's this law that protects information about domestic violence. And, you know, the purpose of it is like obviously to protect the victim so that, you know, the victim's information isn't out there and they're not feeling like, oh, I don't want to report domestic violence because um, I don't want my name in the newspaper and I don't want to, you know, be retaliated against or whatever. But like, that's not to protect the police officers who commit domestic violence from like the community knowing about it. But that, that's what they're saying that, you know, the community shouldn't know that this officer was arrested for domestic violence because we have this law. You know, they're also saying, you know, that it's uh, like, you know, it's a it's an investigatory exemption because the, the trial hasn't concluded yet, that sort of thing. So I'm having to file all these appeals to get this information. And they also have in Massachusetts this thing called the Criminal Offender Records Information Law, which the idea of it is that you um, can't get like a person's like criminal history from like the court. So like say, uh, I don't know, like your landlord or like your boss just decides like, hey, I think this guy is kind of sketchy and I want to get his criminal record because, you know, whatever, like they can't do that. But, uh, you know, a lot of prosecutors offices and police departments will just say, oh, well, you can't have any information about, you know, someone who is arrested unless we decide that you can. And of course, they never want you to have it if it's about one of their police officers. I wonder why that is. Um, but there's actually been court cases about this that say like, I think it was the Boston Globe sued and the court was like, they, the, these police departments were saying that you can't have po police uh, arrest reports about police officers, you can't have their mug shots. And the Supreme Judicial Court, which is like our version of the Supreme Court said, uh, well, actually they can have these documents, this Corey Law is what, that's what it's shortened to, Corey, is kind of like a limited purpose law. Like it's not, it doesn't just mean you can't have any information at all about someone who's charged with a crime. It has like a yeah. specific purpose. 
And it is not to like prevent people from knowing that police officers have been charged with crimes. Yeah, Corey is their favorite one for me. They, yeah. Corey is every, it's their blanket one. Yeah, well, that's the, that's what, you know, Kafka would be proud of the officials of in Massachusetts because Massachusetts went along prosecuting tens of thousands of people uh, for drug offenses based on either faulty testing, intentionally rigged testing, um, lack of procedures, um, uncontrolled use of, of, of comparative standards, you know, all kinds of things that we've enumerated uh, on, on this podcast. Um, and when, when you realize it, and it's time to now start like airing out what happened and, and setting people free, and you say, well, give me a list of, you know, give me these documents, give me a list of these people. They're like, oh, oh that's Corey, that's protected stuff. Well, yeah. yeah, you put them in that situation and now we're trying to get them out. Why, why is this so, so difficult? So I think that that, you know, that is interesting. I think each one of these exemptions that, that, that are in the public records law, you know, have to be looked at with, with um, skepticism, especially when written. Uh, the question should be, how could this be abused uh, someday in the future? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Can I, mean, can I tell like, you? Oh, I was just going to say, we have a lot of these laws that, you know, ostensibly have good purposes, like Corey is like, you know, we don't want people's lives to be ruined just because they were charged with a crime. And, you know, we don't need everybody to know about it. And like, we have a privacy exemption, we have the investigatory exemption, because we don't want like law enforcement uh, investigations to get like screwed up because of information being prematurely released. You know, we have uh, all these different uh, exemptions. We have that domestic violence law I mentioned that, you know, they, these are all like well-meaning ideas, but in practice, the way they get used is like not just for the well-meaning purpose. It's also to like prevent people from knowing what's really going on. So right. my, my favorite comeback for the department that was, uh, that Andy Dukin used to work for when I was submitting public records requests, when they kept denying me for query, 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 I'm like, wow, imagine if you guys were this due diligence or doing this much due diligence in protecting people's rights and telling people that, you know, you had chemists who had drug problems and had, uh, and were intentionally rigging evidence to help prosecutors. Imagine if you, you know, cared as much about those people's rights who were limited, who were, uh, um, walked on as you did, you know, naming people in, uh, in public records requests and, 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 you know, protecting their rights for their name not getting read by some random person who's, you know, not never going to do anything about it. I, I, you know, it's, it's just, they, they, they bend over backwards to keep people's names out and deny you records, but then like they, they knew that these chemists were up to no good and they uh, fought tooth and nail to um, keep people in jail which is the truly scary thing that, that, that is terrifying to me. Um, but so my favorite um, records challenge that has yet to be resolved for, for the years that I've been doing it is with the secretary of state's office, because I asked for um, a list of all of the open um, public records requests that have not been properly responded to by, you know, either ignored or are open um, when they, when the, when the um, Secretary of State's office rules in favor of the, you know, person challenging the records for, for the thing, I asked for all of those ones that are open. And they at first told me they have a spreadsheet. 
and then just started ignoring my requests. And I challenged within the Secretary of State's office to the Secretary of State. And it, it still is open. They've refused to give me that list. So I'm sure it's yeah. it's gotta be thousands, right? It's I mean, who knows? Well, that right. The idea of the depart the same office refereeing itself is sort of yeah. funny. Um it's and, a joke. And Andrew, you mentioned uh, Mr. Galvin. Um, you know, eight times secretary, right? I, I, eight or seven, I can't remember. Seven or eight times seven secretary or eight. of state. Well, one of his uh, offices that he's in charge of is also the um, division of elections. Yes, that's kind of so I'll probably going to be there. Um... <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting uh, that there is an election this year, obviously, and all of our. It's actually really exciting because basically all of the major state government positions are going to change like it's. Uh, uh, well, except for the Secretary of State potentially because Galvin could get reelected but we're definitely going to have a new governor we're definitely going to have a new um, lieutenant governor a new attorney general, a new state auditor. Uh, what's the other one the. Um, I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, so in the Secretary of State's office, Galvin has a primary challenger named Tanisha Sullivan, who is she's an attorney. She's the uh, president of the Boston NAACP. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty exciting because Galvin has certainly been challenged over the years and he's been primary before. But I don't know that he's ever had someone like this who I think is kind of going to get. Uh, at least a certain base of people fired up like uh, so Tanisha Sullivan she's a she's a black woman which obviously you know some people are going to be uh, you know excited by that that she would be the first I think black person and first woman uh, elected to that office and she has like a, a good background for that office like for someone who is in charge of elections to be like a civil rights lawyer who works for the NAACP I think, you know, that is sort of like uh, someone who's going to get people fired up. And, um, you know, I, I'm sort of looking forward to some debates. I just saw on Twitter the other day. Uh, no, actually, today, I'm sorry. Today is, um, what is it? It's June 8th. Um, and let me grab the tweet really quick. She said that she had um, just asked Bill Galvin to debate her uh when was it like it was like a, within the past few days it's she said it's been two days since we issued a challenge to bill galvin to participate in at least three broadcast debates before the september 6th primary crickets hashtag where's bill galvin and uh you know bill galvin for people who don't know he's kind of got a history of ducking debates i think it was not the the last election there were actually several debates but the one i think it was the one before that where I remember the only debate they had, it was at like Malden High School and all the questions were asked by high school students or most of them were asked by high school students. And it was like the Green Party, Green Rainbow Party guy and the Republican guy and Bill Galvin. And it was like, there's a YouTube video of it from like the Lowell Sun. And it had like not even 200 views, like probably as of today, you know, like 10, almost 10 years later, eight years later or whatever. And like, there's just so little attention paid to that office a lot of the time, which is unfortunate because it, it is. is, but I think this year, because there's been all this crazy stuff with like, you know, people trying to overthrow the government and, you know, mess with the elections. 
that people are really interested in the Secretary of State's office. So people are going to be paying more attention to this election. And, you know, I, I uh, just think that, like, even if Bill Galvin were to win, just the fact that there's more attention being paid to the race is kind of going to put some more pressure on him to act and maybe do some reforms. Because Bill Galvin is kind of this guy who, like, you know, he'll get around to it when there's enough pressure on him that he, like, absolutely has to do something. Like, in he will do it. Yeah, eventually when, you know, like the public records thing, he started like it was back in 2015. There was like basically in Massachusetts media, there was like a coordinated effort by like a lot of the local newspapers to basically shame Bill Galvin because the um, supervisor of records, it's not the current one, the the current one, her name is Rebecca Murray, who took over in uh, 2017 when the new public records law took effect. Uh, the previous one is Sean Williams, who actually, he actually works for the city of Boston now doing their public records uh, requests. He's like in charge of their public records responses. But anyway, he used to be the supervisor of records and he would just issue these like asinine rulings. And uh, like, I, I, I don't even want to get into all the specifics, but like basically he he was like really not very good for transparency. He actually, he was... I don't think he won, but he was nominated for this thing called the Golden Padlock Award, mm-hmm. which is uh, there's this group, investigative reporters and editors, and they do this like every year is kind of a joke. They'll have uh, their members who are all investigative reporters will nominate the most secretive government <laughs> agency or official. And this is like an actual physical award that nice. they like, I don't think it's actually made of gold, but it's like a, like a Razzie. Like, yeah, it's like a Razzie, except for like, you know, government officials who are secret, too secretive. And the, the state police actually won it previously. But uh, Bill, Bill, Bill Galvin and like Sean Williams were nominated for it one year. And um, so Bill Galvin finally started to make some like small changes to... I don't even actually remember if he made any specific changes. I'm trying to remember. This was like, you know, a number of years ago. But he was starting to sort of like acknowledge that there were problems. Well, I don't even know if that's true. Like he, uh, but he like finally, I think he sort of participated in the uh, new public records law that they passed. But he was trying to sort of like steal thunder from the legislature. Like he proposed this ballot question that was like just a really half-assed thing. Like it barely changed anything. It didn't do half the things that were in the legislature's bill. And another thing he did was like, there, there's this, uh, it used to be that I think they could charge like 50 cents uh, to print out like, or, or make a photocopy of public records. Like if you were getting like a physical paper copy. Yeah. Uh, and they changed it in the bill to be like five cents. And as soon as it became obvious that this bill was going to pass, Bill Galvin, his office is in charge of the regulations for the public records law. They issued like these new regulations. Normally they would have to have a hearing, but they said it was like an emergency regulation or I don't know if that's the correct term, but they basically, uh, they did it in a way that bypassed the hearing. So they just immediately changed it and made it five cents. And it was like, you could have done this like 10 years ago 
but you're you're finally like lowering the cost like it's and it's such a small thing that like okay now people can get like a photocopy for five cents instead of 50 cents and it took you like knowing that the legislature was already going to do it to fix it so like that's sort of how bill galvin acts like he is just uh he he he'll fix it when it's obvious that someone else is going to fix it or when there's so much pressure on him that uh you know he has no uh no alternative yeah. and like his office really even though they, they kind of resisted the reforms too like they they offered testimony for the public records law that was basically trying to they, they did not support some of the major like really important changes that were proposed they were against them um and uh and even after the law passed when they proposed their regulations they sort of tried to pull a, a runaround where like they it used to be that the these appeals so i people need to like try to imagine this like i've been told you about the appeals process before where like the supervisor barely has any like actual authority to enforce her mandate. So she's got to kind of, you know, like just sort of, um, you know, cajole these people into complying. She, she now has to um, close these appeals within 10 business days, that's two weeks, but there used to be no time limit and it would literally take months. I'm not even kidding, months to get a response. And sometimes, it would literally, you'd just be like, okay, this agency didn't respond to me. I need you to tell them to respond. And they'd be like, you know, okay, well, you know, maybe in like two months, we'll get back to you on that. Like, yeah. all you have to do is write them a letter being like, hey, you need to respond to these people. And they wouldn't do it for like, you know, one, two, sometimes three months or like, and so they, they when they updated this law, they said, okay, 10 business days, and they tried to pull a fast one. They put in the regulations that the um, 10 business days will start when the public records division opens your appeal. And by open, they mean like whenever we feel like it basically. Cause like they used to, if you have these on the secretary of state's website they have a list of all the appeals and they have an open date. And I, I used to look at this, I would like make an appeal and then you would check back and it wouldn't be there and then finally like you know 10 i think the average was like 10 or 11 days um you would see okay it's open and they would put the date that they put it on the website not the date that you um actually sent it to them so you know if you think about it like they're probably trying to do is like okay well we want to take like three months to answer these so we'll just wait you know three months minus 10 days and then we'll put it up on the website and then we can start the 10 business days. Uh, they tried to do that. And like people, including myself complained, we testified at this hearing and they did end up uh, fixing it. And I will, you know, I don't wanna knock the uh, current supervisor for that because she does close them within 10 business days. And, you know, I think that the fact that you can get a resolution to it. And I say resolution in like scare quotes because, you know, I just mean you can get a decision within 10 business days. It makes the process a lot more useful because like, you know, when it took like three months, you know, if they were going to ignore you, you'd have to wait like another three months on top of that to get another 
appeal uh, answered. But now, like, if they ignore you, you know, you can do another one and, like, you know, like you can really keep the pressure on them because these appeals will be piling up, uh, you know. So that that was like a really important reform. But, you know, the Secretary of State's office actually resisted that when it happened. And, you know, I think that just kind of speaks to uh, how public records are treated in this state, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't want to actually, I, truly, I don't want to knock the current supervisor because I do like her. And I think that she has really, in a lot of ways, turned that office around from the previous guy who now works in Boston and is a pain in my ass. Um, and, uh, but, you know, like, I think that the problems cannot be fixed with new personnel. I mean, to a certain extent they can, but the sort of real fundamental problems that I brought up earlier of the supervisor just not having enough power uh, is, is not something that you can just, you know, hire a new person and fix. It requires the legislature to act. And uh, I hope that, you know, the Secretary of State cannot pass a law, but the Secretary of State can tell the legislature and tell the public what's going on and really be kind of an advocate. And Secretary Galvin is not an advocate. He, um, you know, it's funny. He, uh, first of all, I found this out a number of years ago that he does not have an email account, like, like a work email. So like, if you wanna be like, okay, what did Secretary Galvin tell the supervisor records in his emails? That doesn't exist because he doesn't have an email account, which is like so ironic that, you know, the king of public records, the Prince of Darkness, as they call him, uh, doesn't have an email account. And- uh, The king of transparency has no transparency. And you know, <laughs> I was looking, he just launched a new campaign website for his campaign. He had an old one, which um, did not have a phone number. It had an email, which if you email them, no one responded to you ever. His new website does not even have an email. Uh, you know, it doesn't have the phone number or the email. It has like a form you can fill out, which I haven't tried yet. I probably will at some point. But I, I find that so absurd that like, if you think about it, like, can you imagine like a professional campaign does not have a phone number or email for the media to contact on their website like he just sees his like he sees himself like a king almost like he's just in this position for life and he's entitled to it and like you know if somebody's going to run against him like he doesn't even have to like get out in public like he'll just he'll he'll talk to the media when he feels like it and he's not going to have them you know like bugging him like, you know, he doesn't want their phone calls or their emails. He doesn't want people asking questions about his record. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he just doesn't want to put himself out there because he just feels that like, well, you know, I just want to coast to victory on my, you know, campaign war chest of like, I don't even know how much it is. Uh, I, I think it, it it's a lot of money for like a, a state politician in Massachusetts. He has a lot of money that he has accumulated over the years. And he um, he just, he, he feels like his strategy is to just avoid the limelight and, you know, uh, 
and, and it's unfortunate, but I, I think he's going to have a harder time doing that this election, which is something that I'm excited about because, you know, I just think that that state, that that uh, particular office needs to have more debate surrounding it. And that is something that is going to drive some of the reforms that, uh, at least I hope anyway, that could, you know, improve public records access and, you know, other things like elections and, you know, they register businesses and nonprofits. They do a lot of actually really important work at the Secretary of Commonwealth office. And it, uh, it's, it's sort of a, it's a, um, it's something that a lot of people don't pay attention to. And actually, you know, the other way Bill Galvin gets his name out is if you ever watch TV, you'll see these public service announcements sort of right. for like, he tells you to vote. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's so ridiculous because it'll be that, or it's like these, um, domestic violence program where you can get like a, you know, kind of like a fake address and phone number so that your abuser will not know where you live or they won't be able to call you, uh, which, you know, that's a good thing. But what we don't need is like an advertisement for it where like Bill Galvin, you know, is like showing his face and saying, hi, I'm Secretary of the Commonwealth, Bill Galvin, and I'm personally responsible for this program. And, you know, he puts his face on everything, like, like, you know, every brochure for like elections or anything. It's got his face. It's got his name, his signature. If you look at the guide to the Massachusetts public records law, it's got a picture of him and says, you know, hi, I'm secretary of the Commonwealth, Bill Galvin. Like, that's kind of how he gets his name out is through these like yeah, using free, taxpayer money to free publicity. Yeah, yeah. forget to get free, free, not even, not even free publicity. It's like, you know, at our expense publicity. Right. And you know for him to like do that while simultaneously avoiding uh like exposure through the media and like you know debates and sort of channels where he is going to be subject to criticism is you know that's pretty messed up and it's like just you know so ironic for someone who's like in charge of public records to be such a secretive person mm. and Again, I just hope that this election is going to kind of shine a light on that. And, you know, actually, Tanisha Sullivan, that uh, the woman, the NAACP president who was running against him, she at the convention, the Democratic convention, she uh, she got the endorsement from the party. I believe it was like 62 or 63 percent in her favor of the delegates in her favor. And she gave a speech where she made a comment. She didn't mention Bill Galvin by name, but she said that, you know, this work isn't going to get done by filming PSAs. Like it requires someone who's, you know, active and engaged. Deep burn. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have not, uh, she needs to sort of get out there and put out a more uh, concrete platform for um, how she is going to fix things. But, you know, I still, I'm just in general, I'm excited that the fact that this is probably going to be like a genuinely contested mm. election that could lead to some change for public records. And, you know, there's also a Republican running, but we probably shouldn't even mention her because she is a little out there. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've Which heard is about where that. the Republican Party <laughs> the state is going. After right. Charlie Baker, they're going Trump land. So good luck to them. She's, so, she, uh, I can so pretty Andrew, confidently say she's not going to win, though. So yeah. yeah. Well, Andrew, thank you for, for coming on and, and um, shedding light on a topic that even I think people who um, might feel pretty knowledgeable about how the government works uh, wouldn't necessarily know 
um, how things actually work, uh, and also um, how this relates to all the other things that we've been talking on this podcast. That you know, you can't have accountability um, without transparent, basic transparency, and you can't have basic transparency if the people um, in charge sort of have their thumbs on the scale. Um, so I, I appreciate you um, tying this together. Uh, pointing out the upcoming election, which people might want to inform themselves about um, and, and make a choice that they think um, uh, enhances uh, this very vital function of our government and, and our society. So thank you for coming on. Um, you have a website. I call it a website. I don't know if that's your newsletter, but uh, I wanted to give you a chance to say it. So anyone who wants to follow uh, uh, your work could could inspect it firsthand. Well, actually I have, so I have a newsletter and a website. So first of all, the newsletter is, it's, it's so the, they're both called The Mass Dump. And the newsletter is andrewqmr.substack.com. Uh, and uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter for free and you'll get everything, but it would be a huge help if people sign up for a paid subscription because I make a lot of public records requests and, you know, it's a lot of work. And I, you know, if people can support that work, it will allow me to keep doing it. So I would, you know, be a huge help if people could do that. Uh, and then I also have a Twitter, which is the same thing. It's Andrew QMR. And then I also have a website, which is qmr.news. And that is, it's just, it's basically a website where I post all the public records I get. I have like a little database that you can kind of search. Um, it's not the best thing, but it, it does the job. And I also on there, I have, I'm building a database of police misconduct incidents in Massachusetts that are reported in the media because I just feel like, um, we're actually, there's going to be a, a, a database on the, you know, for the whole state by the, it's called the Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission. But I still feel that it's important to track all this stuff that's reported in the media. And I think that can be a useful tool for people. So you can check that out. Uh, and yeah, and, it, you know, it don't just support me, please make your own public records requests. You can do that. If you check my newsletter, there is a recent post which is um, called, hold on, let me just quickly bring that up. I'm sorry, it is called, uh, I'm sorry. I think it's called A Little Ray of Sunshine, which I wrote for Sunshine Week. Yeah, it's called A Little Ray of Sunshine. I wrote it for Sunshine Week, which is sort of this like annual event where people in the media write a lot about public records and you know try to explain the process to people and encourage them to participate in it and i just wrote sort of like a little explanation for how you can get into making public records requests and i hope people will check that one out specifically because again it it is not always easy to make a public records request but that does not mean you should not try because you'll... you know what it is it's enlightening if you want to know, like, sure, that if you want government to know how the world really does, yeah, yeah. And, and that they just don't have to pay attention to laws. They well, don't. And, and I mean, and but again, like you will get things sometimes and it can be pretty rewarding. It's nice to sort of be able to tell the government, you know, I get to tell you what to do, you know, instead of, you know, having them tell you what to do, you can tell them there's this law and you have to follow it and you have to give me information 
And I think that's kind of a wonderful thing and it's a nice thing to experience. So people should give that a, a try. Yeah, so definitely check out um, the, uh, the, the newsletter um, and the posts, uh, which are, are pretty neat. Um, and so I, I spent a little time uh, looking around. So um, Andrew, thank you. We'll, we'll try to get you back on uh, when we do the um, everything you ever uh, didn't want to know about Framingham uh, episode, but um, I'm not sure when that exactly is going to be. But uh, anyway, good, good talking to you. Yeah, it's been uh, fun. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. You too.